the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. For sports fans, there's no better place to get breaking news, real time commentary, and just incredible investigative reporting. The stuff that's been coming out of The Athletic lately, really for the past three years, but again here with some of the soccer news and some of the baseball news. Uh, unfortunately they're bad. They're not, you know, positive stories, but that's what good investigative journalism can do. Visit theathletic.com slash spot track. Get yourself 40% off that first year subscription today. My name is Mike Gennetti. Happy Wednesday morning. Happy superstar NFL release day. <laughs> Don't think I remember this heading into week five of any season, but Jalen Smith is off the Cowboys as of 4 PM today. And Stefan Gilmore will be off the new England Patriots at the same time, two big time players. And I know Jalen, there's plenty of clapback on Jalen Smith and how he isn't the superstar that his contract says he is, but that was five years, almost 51 million left on that deal. Dallas will take on 16 million and change a dead cap split over the next two years. There's 7.2 million of salary that's fully guaranteed this year. That that's probably going to be offset by about 700,000 when somebody else signs him in terms of his new salary. But, Look, Dallas is getting out now for two reasons. One, they want to save the cap going forward. They want to cut this contract off before it dies. And two, there's a $9.2 million injury guarantee on next year's salary. So if he goes out there and and bangs himself up over the next 12, 13 weeks and can't pass that physical next March, that's $9.2 million fully guaranteed owed to him by Dallas. Nowhere near what they're looking to do based on his production and the kind of roster that they've built around him. So uh, I get it cutting ties on that one. I think he will find work on a metro on a veteran minimum contract. And there's really not so much more to say about that. It was an ugly contract for a lot of people. The second it got signed and it's, it's gone. So uh, the Gilmore stuff is a little bit crazier. Look every December I put out my roster bubble list. He was at the top of my list because expiring contract, $7 million salary. He was the 2019 defensive player of the year. Okay. An adequate, a more, an above average cornerback still last year. Yeah. He needed surgery. Yeah. The injury stuff was setting in. He's almost 31 years old. It's there. There's a lot of red flags, but new England just wasn't going to do this again. Uh, you know, you knew this was going to happen. You knew this was going to come to head. I cannot believe that they didn't move him earlier, but now I get it because I don't think he's healthy. And they can say he's healthy now, but he hasn't practiced. He hasn't done, he's had no training camp. He's been rehabbing and doing this stuff on the side. And I don't know when he'll be in game shape, but we're going to find out because somebody's going to take a chance on him now that he's been outright released. There's some, there's a bit of cap savings for New England, which they needed. It's about 6 million saved. Um, assuming that his vested veteran contract doesn't kick in, which I don't believe it will with him starting the year on reserve pup. So, there's about 5.8 million saved in terms of the cap. And look, Josina Anderson, who I trust a lot with this stuff, she's connected to, you know, certain avenues of this NFL NFL market pretty, pretty closely. She's already got it out there that Stefan wants 15 million a year. Based on his last two years of performance, we've got him at 14.1. So it's not within, you know, it's not crazy to think that somebody could sign him for two years, 30 million all of this year fully guaranteed void years to break out the cap. You know how this stuff works now. Uh, I think that's perfectly possible. I don't know anybody going five years on Stefan Gilmore with this injury history, but you know, I'm not going to put that pat. If there's a bidding war out there of San Fran and Tampa Bay and Carolina and some of these teams that can really pound right now, 
if they all get involved, then yeah, there's going to be, you know, some, a bit of an overpay for this guy right now, because these kind of players just don't become available week five. So I, I, I would lean towards the fact that he's going to get a, a good one year contract with, you know, you can't franchise tag me after this built into that, but we've seen crazier things happen before, but I believe everything I'm reading right now with this, that he was injured, that they tried to facilitate a trade. They tried to restructure his contract. We know how that works in New England, right? A restructured contract probably means 1 million more this year with the ability to make 20 million next year, right? That's the Revis stuff. That was never going to happen. And he wants two-year guarantee, in my opinion. He wants some. He wants to be with an organization that wants him for the next two to three years, even if it's going to be a one-year deal to start um, as sort of a showcase contract. But there's a, there's bigger fish for Stefan Gilmore than New England's situation was able to offer him. We'll see what happens. It's going to be quick. This is going to be a 48-hour turnaround on Stefan Gilmore. Maybe not so much for Jalen Smith. You know, that might make it into next week before somebody identifies him as a, as a veteran contract for the rest of the, uh, this, the rest of this season. But I think uh, I think these are two surprising releases at this point in, in this juncture of the season. There's a lot of money going back and forth here. But I think at the end, Stefan Gilmore will have a uh, sunny skies wherever he ends up. I think he'll pick the right spot. He'll have a lot of players reaching out to him right now if they haven't already to try to woo him to their current situation. But it, it will be about money, and rightfully so. He's been one of the top cornerbacks over the past three years. He, he made $58 million of his contract with New England. That never happens either, by the way. You know, this was a big signing for them when they did it, and they it, it stuck. He uh, he was worth the price of admission for that New England Patriots defense. So it, it, I understand that that they're moving on now. I would have thought this would have happened in February and March, to be quite honest. But they were waiting for him to get healthy to see what he had to offer, to see if there was any kind of trade value at the very least. Here we are. Outright release. He's going to find himself a new job, and I think a pretty good payday for the rest of 2021. All right, here's the plan now. Scott Allen did a huge piece on NBA offseason spending. There's lots of bullet points, lots of fun facts, lots of good numbers in terms of team spending, free agent spending, a lot of trade talk, which teams maybe are trending up, trending down, some over-under odds, things like that. All of the uh, offseason NBA things you could ever want in one 30-minute conversation. That's next with Scott Allen. But first, today's episode is brought to you by Balance Bridge Funding, providing cost-friendly capital solutions to professional athletes since 2015. Balance Bridge has dedicated professionals who understand the industry and are ready to customize a repayment plan catered to your client's situation and financial objectives. Borrow wisely and cost-effectively, avoid broker fees, and there's no prepayment penalties if you decide to pay it back early. Whether your contract is under contract and simply needs a bridge against guaranteed earnings, a free agent looking to invest, or looking to borrow for any other reason, Balanced Bridge, take a look, provide a solution, and be a resource for you today. Visit balancedbridge.com. All right, Scott, we're about three weeks away from the opening week of NBA 2021. It's been slow. <laughs> is that is that a fair assessment? It's been Ben Simmons and not much else, right? I mean, we're kind of uh, wrangling some numbers out of this piece in terms of looking back at the offseason as a whole, but the last month of NBA coverage has been non-existent. Is that fair? <laughs> yeah, it's been, you know, pulling teeth for content for a lot of people. But now that we're into training camp, you're going to start seeing more of the uh, 
rookie scale club options exercise. A couple came in yesterday for uh, the Pistons and the Magic. You're going to start seeing more potential conversations with uh, the rookie scale extensions, which we've sort of seen with Aiton in Phoenix in that situation. So I think now that we're in the training camp or we're getting closer to opening night on October 18th, you're going to start seeing more uh, more transactions happening here. Those rookie extensions, the deadline is day one, right? It's October 18th, yeah. 4 p.m. Eastern. October 18th. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So anybody but Aiden a slam dunk here? And what is the holdup with Aiden? Are they trying to build in some injury language? Do you think that they are trying to push back from a max contract? So from what I'm hearing, Aiton wants the full 25% max, but with language for the similar to, you know, SGA and, and Trey, where you can get up to the 30%, maybe there's the tier of the 28. Sounds like Phoenix is pushing back, and maybe there might be some language like the Michael Porter Jr., where the last year maybe non-guaranteed with some, uh, you know, triggers to go to a full guaranteed in case of injury or whatever it may be. So it sounds like there's a, a stalemate in between wanting the full max and not wanting to give the full max. All right. You've done God's work here. You've done a huge piece that I posted on .com last night, which is, like I said, an, an off-season look back. Um, notable notes. You pulled out some bullet points kind of, you know, in terms of tax uh, cap situations, the sign-in trades that happened, uh, a couple of notable buyouts that happened throughout the last few months. And then you've got a breakdown of team spending in terms of extensions in-house, free agent signings, uh, obviously the rookie rookie signings from the draft, um, where they kind of finished last year versus what they spent this year, their odds going forward for this year. It's a nice piece. And then we go team by team and we kind of see you know, notable extensions, what happened in the trade market. There were some decent sized trades this offseason. I think that kind of carried the day. Let's start there because I've got about, you know, 50,000 words in front of me here. What, what is the biggest transaction? Or I guess, I, I guess the, you know, look into your fortune teller ball here, your crystal ball. What is going to be the biggest move from this offseason for the upcoming season? It's probably a toss-up between Kyle Lowry going to the Miami Heat and Russell Westbrook going to the Lakers. Um, I, I had a, uh, I was listening to something with Russell Westbrook, and I guess his situation came out of nowhere, which you know all of us thought it came out of nowhere, and it actually did. He got win that you know the Lakers were trying to go for Buddy Heald. And he went to the front office management and said, do whatever you got to do to get me to Los Angeles. And that's how that all came about. Wow. So I, I'm interested to see how that transpires over the longevity of the season. Because, you know, some people are saying he's not really going to gel with how things are in with LeBron and AD, but you know, if there's injuries and COVID protocols or whatever there may be, maybe, maybe it's, you know, sort of like the Brooklyn Nets having their big three right now, same similar situation. And then going Kyle Lowry going to the Miami heat. I mean, they were looking for that upgrade point guard. He's there. They, they move some pieces. Um, but I, I think Miami Heat did well this offseason, and 
Um, they may be a dark horse in the odds projection, depending on how things, you know, gel between Lowry and Butler and Bam. Uh, but I think those two are probably going to be the most impactful moving forward. Look, the Heat are going to be favorites. I mean, the Heat are going to be top five uh, coming out of that East. No question about it. That This was the easy move, I think, this offseason. So I'll kind of table that one because you're right. The Westbrook one threw us all off when it happened because we didn't think they were going to swing that big for this reason. And and I think we've talked about this before, but it's worth saying again as we approach the season here. They, they Once again, they forfeited their depth, Scott to do this. They did. I mean, yeah. in order to get AD in there a couple years ago, they had to give away everybody. They did the same thing with this Washington move to get Westbrook. I actually like what Washington has now, and I think they're not done. I think they're contenders for Ben Simmons. I really do. I, I think that that they like that they have 10 to, to 11 pieces that they could play on every, any given night. There's a new coaching staff that may be able to figure things out and find, you know, maybe five, six, seven players that they really like. But I, I would rather have depth than not have depth right now in the NBA. And I don't think the Lakers have it. What they do have is a workhorse. They have a guy in Westbrook who LeBron can say on, every, on any given night, you know what, man, I got to go 40% tonight. I, I got to dial it back. You take over. You have one of your triple-double nights. I'm just going to be a piece. AD is probably going to skip this game because they're not going to... Those three guys aren't playing more than half of these regular season games together. Let's be perfectly honest about what this league is right now. And I'd say the same thing about the NBA, about the Nets, regardless of Kyrie's vaccination status. That's just what, that's why you're building super teams is to last. It's not to be great for 82 games. It's to be good for 82 sustainable, and then have a chance to have enough steam left and enough talent to carry you through the postseason. Westbrook allows for that, but it's risky because if, the fourth and fifth and sixth pieces are dogs or get injured or AD or LeBron get injured. Now you're relying on Westbrook to be one of the guys. And I don't think he's proven over the past five years that he can sustain that over a, over a season. I just don't with any kind of postseason aspirations. So it, it's, I get the move from a LeBron standpoint, but from a Lakers season standpoint, I think it's extremely risky. That's all I'll say about that. Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and I agree with that. And I'll jump on top of that and say they sacrificed Westbrook for youth yeah. because now what they've had to do is sign a lot of minimum guys, which I put in the piece here. And they're the oldest team on average because of the, the yeah, almost thirty veterans, the veterans that they've had to sign. I mean, they're they're they've signed guys that are on the tail end almost done with their career you know you got Dwight Howard DeAndre Jordan Rondo Ariza Carmelo Anthony you know they those guys that they're they're gonna know their role with the Lakers moving forward but well let me put it this way Scott because you and I talk about this a lot youth doesn't win no it doesn't youth doesn't win LeBron's got this and next year left that isn't doesn't that align properly it, it does. And right? I, like, it, let's just get LeBron and his friends and try to win two more championships. And if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, then we'll 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 get young then, you know? <laughs> it, and it reminds me of when he was in Cleveland and made made all those moves to to get those veteran players because he knows to win right now, you've got to have the experience and you've got to have that, yeah. you know, veteran uh you know, 
chemistry, which obviously bringing those guys in, maybe it'll click a little bit better. But from a longevity standpoint, you know, those guys have a lot of track miles on their legs, including LeBron, who I think is over, what, 60,000 minutes played or whatever it might be at this point. So there's a lot of miles on those legs of all those players. How are they going to be able to sustain 82 games plus going deep into the playoffs? That's going to be the interesting juggling trick for the Lakers this year. Let me tell you the metric. It's not age. It's not minutes that I'm worried about with this team. There's one metric, one statistic that scares me about this roster. Scott, any guesses? Mm. Free, shooting free throw percentage yeah, free throw LeBron's way down Westbrook is a disaster and continue to look at this roster but the big men there's a lack of a point there's a lack of an of a 90% guy in this roster that's that stuff wins games man I mean that that is when it comes down to it you know we see that in college all the time I'm worried about that with this team that they don't have a, enough pure just Give me the free ones at the end of the game when it turns into foul situations. I'm worried about that with this team, but that's, God, such a small element right now before the season starts. All right, let's look back a little bit here. You've got, some, like I said, an off-season total table here. I don't think it would surprise anybody to know that the Atlanta Hawks are at the top of this total with all the extension work they did. Um, You know, it's a fine line between what an extension is and what a a free agent sign-in is in this league because many times players bring back their own players after that July 1st deadline, right after free agency actually starts. And we see this in the NFL quite a bit too. Um, so, you know, take that with a grain of salt. Sometimes your, uh, your veteran extensions happen in the new league year. So you got to combine that. But if you talk about just extensions plus free agency, you know, you're talking over $345 million just this off season from the Hawks. Not surprising, right? They like who they are. Yeah, absolutely. And you're going to, the big chunk of that is Trey getting extended and they, they like who they are moving forward and they're going to ride it out right now. Um, I, I like the moves they've done and, you know, at a plus 4,000, yeah. you know, odds, yeah, if you, if you are all in on the Trey Young train, you know, that's pretty good odds right now, I think. Well, let, me give you, let me give you the top five off-season spenders here, and then we can I can let you choose what you want to go with. Hawks, Heat, Knicks, Mavs, Nuggets. Nuggets had to be here with their, their late two extensions here. You know, the Mavs is mostly Luka. Miami, we talked about the free agency. They did quite a bit of flipping around there. And then Duncan Robinson got a, a nice kind of uh, uh, somewhat convoluted extension based on the incentives and stuff. Let's talk about the Knicks. Can I force that one down your throat? Sure. You, you, Keith, and I had some good discussions about what the Knicks could do this year versus if they're going to wait until next year because of cap, because of free agents that could become available after this season. You know, they put $334 million onto their future payrolls here. Now, <laughs> nothing is less you know, stable than an NBA contract right now. Everything is tradable at any point in time, barring a restriction. How do you assess this team right now? Are they in it for the short term? Are they in it for more of a three, four year window run? Um, or is it really that they paid a lot of guys this year, but most of those guys can be moved on from after this year and they can rebuild this thing on the fly next year with maybe a super team if that becomes available to them? I'll, the latter for sure. But I think 
all the bullet points you just listed out there are all options. They've structured their contracts where they can move on from them in a trade if they want to, because we're talking, you know, Derek Rose in the next year is 14 and a half. Alec Burks is 10. Uh, Fournier is 18. Nerlens Noel is nine. Those are salaries that are easily packaged together to move to another team to allow them to bring something back. But they also allowed themselves flexibility that in the third year, our team options, Fournier has a fourth year team option. So they have the flexibility of if they like what they have, they can move forward and then in two years cut ties. And the free agency market for 2022 that we were all eyeing is not going to be as stellar as we anticipated a year or two ago because a lot of teams have extended players. So I think the Knicks have done a really nice job of balancing the opportunity to move players if they need to, but if they really like how they perform, they're they're going to get value out of those players that they've signed as well. You know what else they did? They learned from their mistakes. They have. The, the last iteration of this where they, they, they started to smell it a little bit and then decided, hey, we got to get a superstar. They, they put their hands under their butt and sat there waiting for KD to join their team. They did nothing else but wait for him, and then they were going to go. They're not doing that this time. They're not. They're, they're building a team for this year, which is what this money is, like you said. And if something works out where one of these major guys opens up via sign and trade or via straight trade next year, they'll accommodate themselves accordingly. The The way that this team operated three, four years ago, Scott, was old school, was we got to build up cap space to be able to sign a player who may become available and if he chooses our team. That's not how this league works anymore. And you just laid it out. It is... Get all the guys you think you want this year. Don't worry about their compensation. In fact, maybe overpay a few of them so that the the, the assets that come back are of a little bit more value because that's how it works with the NBA, matching trades. They've done that. I think they've done that. The only name you left out, and I want to ask what kind of risk it is financially, certainly from a basketball standpoint, what does Kemba Walker do for this team? Could, could he be the nail in, in, in the bottom of the foot here? Or, I mean, is that is that an immovable situation if he's injured again, Scott? There's always going to be a team that wants to take on a, a contract to, you know, if they're going to package in a pick or two. But at $8.7 million and then next year $9.2 million, that, that's an easy contract to be packaged in and moved if there's a team that really wants another player on that roster. I, I, for the depth at the point guard position, I think it's fine. We'll see if he can come back. If I mean, if he's 80% of what he can be, uh, it, I think it, it's a good move for the Knicks for that depth. Yeah, and he, he is depth. He's not the guy like he was asked to be in Boston there or expected to be in Boston in terms of the point guard. Derrick Rose is it's a one A one B situation in my opinion. So I agree with that. All right. The, the, the low spenders, the teams that didn't hit free agency hard, didn't extend too many of their own, maybe, maybe maneuvered via the trade as we kind of alluded to in the, uh, a couple of minutes ago, Milwaukee's dead last, then Memphis, Minnesota, the Lakers and the magic. Anything stand out to you there? Yeah, the Milwaukee Bucks being last, I, I 
I wasn't surprised by it because they signed who they needed to the year before. So they extended Giannis. They, they extended drew holiday. They've got their core three locked up. So they really didn't need to do a lot. And, and we forget that Dante DiVincenzo, he was injured in that run at the end. So that's another piece that is sort of coming back, but they didn't have to sign him because he was already under contract going into the season. So, um, they really didn't need to do a lot to make the moves moving forward. They really liked their roster. The Memphis Grizzlies at the bottom is kind of surprising, but what is not in this table to tell you about the Grizzlies is they made a lot of trades. Yeah, that's right. And so they didn't make signings because they made a lot of trades. And their signings that they did were because of drafts. So they're going to be a young team, but they've made moves where – and as I mentioned in the piece, they were the hub of a lot of the trade moves. They brought in guys and then they moved guys out or bought them out or did whatever they needed to. Um, so just because they're at the bottom of the uh, off-season total spending does not necessarily mean they made no moves at all. Look, I, <laughs> I'm for using the trade uh, in this way, which is to free up a little bit of space maybe get a couple of guys off of your roster that you're not, you know, you're not in love with. I, the problem for me, Scott, is I don't really love this roster. And I was hoping to love this team headed into the season. I was hoping that this was going to be, they were going to be right there as the next version of the Atlanta Hawks. And I'm just not seeing it. I, am I naive with that? Do I need to just let this play out a little bit? I just don't think that what they did made them better in any regard. Yeah, it was more of a, uh, a shuffling chairs on the Titanic more so than anything. I think if you want to use that analogy, I guess they made the trade for, you know, Steven Adams with Valanchunas to get an extra year out of it. Hmm. I guess for that experience as well, maybe, maybe they went that route so that they weren't having to pay Valanchunas more once he hits free agency next year and let the Pelicans deal with that. Um, I, I'm not in love with this roster either, but if they can get the chemistry and make it gel, I guess kudos to them for seeing something that a lot of us have not seen. Yeah. I'm just not in love with it. That's all. Biggest free agent spenders. Bulls, Clippers, Knicks, Heat. What do you think? <laughs> Bulls, Bulls are probably well, the team that stands I, out here the most because of the Lonzo yeah. acquisition. Um, quite a bit of acquisition. Zales Caruso, right? There's, I, I don't know. I think they needed to. I you, think they you needed do. to. You, you, you thought this roster improved mightily, or is it still kind of a work in progress in your opinion? I, I think they've improved, but I think this is a team that had to do something. And we've talked about this before with Zach Levine. That right. They had to show Levine that they were going to do something to improve this roster dramatically to to make the percentage of him wanting to stay with the Bulls higher. Sort of like what the Milwaukee Bucks did with Giannis. They brought in Drew Holiday, they pushed all in, and look at where it got them. I don't necessarily think that the Bulls are now you know, the top five in the East, but it may get them into more of the 6-7 seed if everything can gel. Um, DeRozan is a nice piece. It, it seems like we all pegged Lonzo to go to the, the Bulls and then Caruso. So they've got some depth there. The big thing is, is are, are they all going to be able to gel, including with Vucevic there? Because we saw right. towards the end, they may have made 
that playoffs more with Levine not having to have missed at the end. But, you know, Vucevic was sort of in there, but not in there. Yeah, and it, 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 right. That's the word awkward. And I, I've, I've got to see if they can really gel with the pieces that they brought in. But like I said, this is the team that they had to do something and they went out and did it. I like this team. I, I think it's the right pieces. It's the right connected connectivity. I just don't know if they can be coached up. That's all. That's what has to happen here. Because whenever you build a team like this, basically in an 18 month span, you're talking about the Vucevic trade uh, and then like six new pieces this off season. That's a lot to ask for in terms of, uh, you know, unity, connectivity on the court. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, there's a lot of guys who can play ball, but will they have that gel? Will they have that chemistry? That, that to me is coaching. So they might be an entire year away and that may be too long to keep Levine, I think is what you're alluding to. They've got to show this year that they're on the right path or he's going to walk or he's going to demand a trade out of there. I think that's pretty much where we're headed, but I, I like it. I think it's, it's, it's a good five, six new pieces based on what they've, they're trying to do here on a, on a quick rebuild, finally, after years and years of trying to build to the draft unsuccessfully. So I give them credit. Anybody else here this offseason, Scott, just kind of blow it up? You know, no idea what they're thinking. Uh, and it could be, I guess it could be positive or negative coming from you at this point. Anybody really stand out team-wise? Mm, I think some of the head scratchers were Cleveland Cavaliers. At, at first, we were wondering what they were doing, acquiring, again, all these big men. They signed Allen back, and we'll see if they can gel. What happens with Kevin Love? I mean, that, that, that's been a huge elephant on that roster from a, you know, not meshing with the coaching staff well, rubbing some of the players the wrong way, but they made some nice acquisitions with Ricky Rubio, Evan Mobley in the draft. Can Darius Garland step up? Is Colin Sexton going to be there for the long term? So they've got a lot of questions that I don't think have been answered, but they've sort of band-aided it with acquiring Rubio and, oh, and Lori Markkinen they signed. So they have... Uh, some some big men on that roster, so they're going completely opposite of what the rest of the league is going with shooting. So remind me, uh, two pointers are worth less than three pointers, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, um, and and then I think the other head scratcher is the Sacramento Kings with what what they're doing with their roster. Yeah. You know, they they were in for a hot minute with the buddy heel to the Los Angeles Lakers. Like we talked about, they did not even move him. So I, I think at some point he is probably going yeah. to get by don't the trade deadline. Don't you feel like their off is incomplete right now? I do because I feel like they're waiting on the Ben Simmons situation. Yes. Still the buddy heel situation is still fluid. That, that doesn't seem like a roster that's ready for 2021 yet. There's still a move or two to be made. I think you're right. Yeah, I mean, the De'Aaron Fox for Simmons trade still comes up all the time. I, I think Sacramento's probably on pause right now because, you know, 50% of the league cannot be traded until December 15th as it is. Um, and then they can start making trades after that once these trade res uh, signing restrictions have been lifted. They acquired Tristan Thompson, but we saw what he was on 
on Boston, not a lot of us like that signing to begin with anyways. So they've, they've got a mix of young with having signed, you know, they signed Rashawn Holmes back. Some of us head scratched about that with how much he got with that. Marvin Bagley is a huge question mark. Um, so this roster, I just don't know what they're doing and I don't know if they know what they're doing. How many wins does OKC have at the end of the day? Uh, 25. Are they the worst team? Or is Houston right there? Cleveland right there? Detroit? Detroit's got to be better. Got to be. I think Detroit's got to be better. I think Houston's got to be better. They made some acquisitions. I really like the Jalen Green draft. I think... Uh, Me too. If I had to put money down on rookie of the year, I'd probably go with him for I would that. Too. All right. So let me put it this way then. Let's leave those two out of it. Let's put Orlando, Cleveland, and OKC in the bottom conversation. Who you got? Um, that's tough. Uh, I'm going to go with... I th- I'm going to go with OKC is going to be at the bottom. Okay. I think they're going to get some... They're, they're going to win some games that we'll be surprised by because they do have talent on that roster. I, I like what Orlando has, but I got to see, I got to see how they're going to gel because Fultz comes back. Isaac, he may miss the beginning of the season, but should be back. They, they got um, Suggs who I th- think is going to be a, a star there. They got Cole Anthony, They've made some other moves there, you know, at the I trade like desk roster, last year. Scott. So I, I like that roster, and I, I almost went with Cleveland for the fact of what I just said five minutes ago. That's where I but, would go, man, I, because because they're going to find out, or they already know that they're in, dis, you know, that they're a disheveled roster. They know what they are right now, which means there's going to be moves coming. Maybe, maybe many moves buyouts, trades, you know, Kevin loves not staying in this roster, Scott. I know you didn't want want to say it. I'm going to say it. (laughs) Kevin rosters, not Kevin loves not staying on this roster. So that's one. I don't think Sexton's long for this roster, even this season. That's two. Now there's four centers to deal with. Somebody's going to need a center come February. But, but that team, that team has (sighs) experience. So I'm going to, I'm going to go with the experience over Oklahoma city's age they're the lowest age average right now on their roster. I think roster they have the best league. player of these three teams. Yeah, but one player versus three or four really, really good players, I think is going to get them higher. I mean, FanDuel, I pulled up their over, over under wins. Okay. They have Cleveland at 27 and a half. <laughs> They've got Oklahoma City at 22 and a half and Orlando at 21 and a half. So they don't like the Orlando roster. But I'm still going to wow. stick with Oklahoma City as being the lowest. Okay. Last question. Because that makes me think of East versus West now. Does that does that allude to the fact that the Eastern Conference is now more dominant? Oh, I, and I've heard that from a lot, that they feel that uh, from the top to bottom standpoint, the East has gotten better than they have been in the last few years because of this shift of trades and drafting better and whatever it may be. So, yeah, I, I agree with that statement. Which playoff team is not going to make the playoffs this year? Which team do you we, think took steps backward? I, it's are, easy for are, me. Are we including play-in is yeah. counting as playoffs? Yeah, we're including those because that's where my team is. 
taking a step backward. Um, I have no idea who the Indiana Pacers are. Yeah, and I was going to say the Pelicans because they made the tr- they made the play in. Mm-hmm. So I I don't necessarily know how well that team is going to. You know, they made some moves. They got rid of their coach. I, what is the issue with Zion? You know, he had in all, all of a sudden he had. Uh, surgery in the off season that they threw out at media day. So everyone's head scratching at that. Is he even long for the Pelicans or is he going to be on the move at some point? So I, I agree with your statement with the Pacers, okay. but I'm going to go with the Pelicans as well. And last one. Sorry. I forgot about this one. What's Kawhi's current status? From what I've heard, it sounds like he may miss the entire season. Okay. So what does that mean? Because all these odds, Scott, have the Clippers way up there in the West. Uh, how can that be? Paul George can't do this on his own. We've tried this for a decade. He cannot do this on his own. My guess is the odds makers are keeping them higher in the hopes that Kawhi does come towards the end of the season. Keep in mind, and we've talked about this before, they, there are no injury restrictions like there are in the NFL where once you're placed on an IR, you can't come back for a certain amount of time. If his progress in recovery allows him to come back in March or even April, right before the playoffs hit, he can play. So my guess is they're, they're, they're guessing that there's a chance that he may come back at some point, but I don't know. Oh, Reggie Jackson oh. and Eric Bledsoe just ain't doing it for me. They're, they're just not. They're that, not. That's not moving the needle for me. If there's no Kawhi over even over five, six months, how can this team be a contender? Now, maybe they sneak into the back of the playoffs and then it's Kawhi time. I guess that's what you're banking on. But what? Whew, that that one's really baffling to me. That that one feels like a total miss because I, I guess... I guess I shouldn't assume anything with Kawhi Leonard, right? That That's what we've learned. What we've learned is we can learn nothing from Kawhi Leonard. We just have to assess with whatever happens on a day-to-day basis. But that roster without him does not look appetizing to me. That's my point of bringing that up. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anything else? Anybody overspend? Any, anybody thinking that they're better than they are right now? Um, I don't know... I don't necessarily know about overspending, but okay. the the trend that I saw this offseason was teams choosing to extend players now, thinking that that's a great point to bring down, up. Down the, the early down, extensions, right? Can you can you kind of ex- expand on that a little, Scott? Because you know I, people see. You know, Curry was a, was expiring, so his makes sense. But why did Joel Embiid have to get extended this offseason, Scott? Great question. Why did he? And and it was two years early. Yeah. So th- for some reason, they they like what they have with him moving forward, even with the potential injury issues that he has had. They want to lock up that big man for the long term. Um, but the fact that player and not even just max extensions, we saw a lot of teams that did like Robert Williams for a rookie extension, but Terry Rozier, we saw get an extension. Um, you know, Julius Randle got an extension. Uh, Clint Capella got an extension, but that doesn't kick in for till 2023. Teams are setting themselves up to sign the extension, knowing that they can move players in trades 
and they're sort of eluding the free agent market because they know teams have no cap space. We only had like three or four that really had any cap space to sign anybody this offseason. So teams are just banking on let's extend who we can because we like them on our roster right now. Can I push back knowing on that, that Scott? Because I think you're right, but can I push back on this point? Because we're at a point now where it's been three, four years of no cap space for anybody. Would you agree with that? Yes. If that's the case, why do you have to extend early? Why can't you let Robert Williams get to free agency if nobody can afford to sign him? I see what you're thinking. Potential sign is and it, trade. Is, it, is it because back. the sign and trade is so dangerous because you'd let somebody it, else set his market? Well, it, it, A, somebody else sets his market. B, you do the sign and trade. That other team is hard cap, so some teams don't necessarily want to go down that road. Having not known, you know, we have sort of a projection where the cap may be, but with media rights coming in and the potential right. opt-out of a going into a new CBA, some teams may want to opt to sign these players now, not knowing if there's going to be a max value in place or what is restricted free agency even going to look like in three years. Maybe it doesn't even exist because it hasn't really been able to be used because there are no cap space to sign those free agent, those restricted free agents to offer sheets. So I think teams may just be, moving the chess pieces on their own board, setting themselves up for potential, you know, the salaries that are easily put together to move, to make acquisitions down the road instead of having to just bank on free agency. And and you, you sort of brought it up with the Knicks earlier. They tried to set themselves up because they had all this cap space and then nobody came. And I think, Teams are starting to realize that, and, and and to a certain extent, Dallas did that too. In Miami, they were trying to set themselves up for Giannis going into free agency, and it didn't happen. And then you're you're left without a chair to sit in. So I think teams are starting to realize that cap space is an illusion. You're better off b- getting pieces that you think Milwaukee would have wanted in the trade than you correct. are than you are breaking it down and freeing up cap space. Is that is that a correct statement now in the NBA? It is. You need to set yourself up with pieces that you can move to get a player that you want. And if those pieces are not on your roster, all of the Knicks, they had no one on their roster for a few years there. Now they actually have pieces that they could potentially package together to go for Zion, like I mentioned earlier, or go for other players that they wish to. And they've set themselves up where they have the money now, but they also have the money next year that are between nine and $18 million that can be easily packaged to get to a higher salary for matching purposes if they want to. Should baseball do this? It would be very interesting if baseball did it. Because you can't trade draft picks. It's always going to be player for player. Is that a rule that they can't trade draft picks? So if there was salary matching, right? If there was a, you have to get within a percentage of the salary coming back that's going in like the NBA has, if baseball had that and you tried to acquire Mike Trout, which mm-hmm. is not an, that's not a ridiculous claim over the next two years, I think you would have to send back, you know, 32 to $36 million worth of salary. How many teams actually have that right now? <laughs> you know what I mean? 
Pittsburgh Pirates don't even have that on the roster. Exactly. <laughs> but, which means it would force teams to sign those middling veterans. You'd have to keep would. $17, $18 million guys on your roster, especially if you're in the market for acquiring a, start, a major starting pitcher or a major position player somewhere in the next 18 months. In, in other words, it would force spending, knowing that if you wanted to get a player, especially at the deadline, you have to be able to bring up the salary to do so. I, well, if there's I a spending, because you're right, this is chess versus checkers, is what this is, Scott. It, it's it is. so easy to make a trade somewhere else, and that's why they don't happen because it's so kind of lame. The process is lame. There's re- it could be anything. It is so open ended that we can't really project it, and teams can kind of just do it whenever they feel like it. In the NBA, you have to be almost a year ahead of it to be able to process something, or if you're trying to do something last minute. Oftentimes, you have to bring in a third team, sometimes even a fourth team to get the money right, to get the pieces right. Well, we don't have the guy that they want, but Indiana has the guy that they want. So let's work with Indiana. It is so freaking fascinating when you sit down. It's a nightmare for us, right? But, but it is so fascinating how these things work. And oh, by the way, they happen all the time. They happen all the time because, hey, I got to get this guy specifically, or I need somebody like that specifically, and I can't do it alone. Let's get it. Let's bring half the league in and try to figure out the best approach for all these teams. It's such a fluid situation all the time. I would love a, t- a sport like baseball who is craving transactional interest to, to consider something like this. Yeah. And, and it forces the signings, like you said, but it forces the movement, which baseball That's needs. I mean. it, instead of sending, you know, Trey Turner and Max Scherzer to the Dodgers for four prospects that may or may not be up in three or four years. I mean, you and you, Dan and I had this conversation offline of the movement and prospects. And so if you went this route where they had to do matching, how, how would you value those prospects from a financial standpoint? Because NBA doesn't have a minor league system. So in in baseball, you would sort of have to, uh, put a monetary value on those prospects, whether it's the minimum salary that they could make if they were up for the whole season or, you know, a a pre arbitration value that anyone that has less than X amount of years experience accounts for X amount in, in the trade. See, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure. I, I, I would just want veterans to be included. Because the other element, Scott, and it's something that we, you know, outside of the draft pick stuff that OKC has been doing, you know, the reason the Tigers trade Verlander or the the Nats trade Scherzer and Turner or, you know, give a million, the Pirates trade Glasnow or Cole, they're trying to shed payroll. They're trying to make themselves competitively imbalanced on purpose. Well, that stops with matching. Okay, now you're trading Scherzer, but you got to bring back 30 mil. Okay, you got to bring back Justin Turner and Chris Taylor to match it. And, and oh, by the way, it'll, it stops the Dodgers from, from becoming a super team because they have to forfeit two veteran it, salaries along with two prospects to get Trey Turner and Max Scherzer. So I don't think you have to be fancy with the calculations. It's just, hey, we got to go salary for salary. And then if you're, you're getting the better end of the deal, you got to throw in a B prospect too. I think that's the right way to go here. I really do. Yeah, and what's the number one thing with the NBA that fans always comment or go to? Trade machines, Yeah, which we launched this offseason, full roster management, actually. But trades are in there. If you 
had salary matching in baseball, you would not only force more transactions, but you're going to force more fandom to have to talk and do trade machine calculations to say, oh, I can match Mike Trout for player A, B, and C from Milwaukee or wherever it may be. And then you're forcing conversation. You're forcing uh, the media to have a conversation instead of Mike Trout for who? You know, what prospects were those? I don't even know where they are in, in in the prospect lineup for that team, if it's a good prospect or not. So if, if you have something like that in baseball, it's a win-win for the teams, the fans, because you're going to, you're going to have that conversation. You're going to force those transactions and you're going to force those signings, which there aren't the middleman in baseball anymore. So that would force to have some of those middleman salaries. It's good stuff. I'll tweet out this article that Scott worked on this uh, this past week as soon as we post this podcast and uh, keep up with it. It's almost time, Scott. It is. All right. My thanks to The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash spot track for 40% off your first year subscription and visit balancebridge.com for all your financial investment needs. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Giannetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Track Podcast. Mm-hmm.